paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Hello, everybody. I'm Emily. And I'm Charlotte. We're two PhD students from the University of Queensland. We're two young researchers that want to highlight the importance of women in agriculture who are part of the STEM community. We're so proud to be part of this, and we want to share with you the real life of some extraordinary women making a difference in the field. Let's break the stereotypes and show what we really are. Let's get started. In this episode, we are chatting with Dr. Barbara George Digby. She is a senior research fellow at the University of Queensland at the Center for Crop Science. She grew up in Switzerland and she had her master's degree in biology at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. She has been passionate about farming, nature, and animals, and she is a firm believer that her career had to fit around her life and not the other way around. And she talks a lot about choosing life before career. Doesn't mean that you will not succeed. Barbara worked in Syria crop physiology, helping plant breeders to better understand traits that lead to higher and more sustainable grain yields. We really enjoyed chatting with Barbara. She's a beautiful person and she truly believes that it's possible to combine career with family. So let's get to know more about Barbara and their science journey and hopefully her story will inspire younger generation. Let's get started. Congratulations also on your initiative. You've been so active and um, had so, such so many great initiatives. It's very nice to see. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we, we just started this project too. Yeah, thanks to Charlotte. And we just got together to start inviting different um, yeah. researchers to highlight their stories. So it's going to be a really good project. Okay. Yeah, so this is our first, really first. This is interview. the very first. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the first. Lucky first. <laughs> oh, my God. So the first question is, where are you from? And what's your childhood and your, your life path for? How did I end up here? Yes. yes. <laughs> sure, sure. So I, I grew up in Switzerland and I loved Switzerland I still do now and I probably never expected to leave Switzerland I always liked animals and plants and the outdoors and space so natural spaces and that sort of thing which is quite getting quite Switzerland is very beautiful but it's also very populated where about um, Switzerland the Dutch like the the German one or the French one yes in the German part um, quite close to Zurich but I grew up in a fairly small country town but nevertheless um, yeah like I said Switzerland is getting quite populated there's lots of roads and so I always was quite sad about that I really love um, untouched nature and open open spaces but nevertheless I didn't think of I would leave Switzerland um, but so I studied um, biology because I, like I said, I loved animals and plants, couldn't decide which way to go. So I just did a biology a master's, um, which gave me both um, aspects. 
And then I worked in nature conservation for a while as a private consultant and met my husband who is from Australia and yeah, sort of um, was keen to experience Australia with all its wide open spaces. We got married in Switzerland, but then decided to try life in, in Australia. Uh, we bought a small farm and I didn't expect to be working in science when I came out here, but I happened to uh, realise that the Department of Primary Industry, it, Industries, which it was called then, conducted research. So I asked them whether they needed a biologist and um, ended up the same year I emigrated from Switzerland, being able to start in a um, casual role first, but I worked myself into some more um, senior roles and, and also ended up doing a PhD at UQ during my work at DPI. So that's how I ended up in this field on, and at UQ. That's great. And nice yeah. story. Thank you. <laughs> what a journey. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's um, quite unplanned, really. You know, it's not something you could plan like that. When we look back, we think, wow, it's, it was quite risky to just give up everything and come out here. But when you're young, you can do these things and you can build a new life. And um, it challenges you, but it's also, um, yeah, really rewarding. Mm -hmm. So I have a question. Um, you mentioned uh, that you got in science eventually. So who was your role model? Did you have any female role models or... Um, well, I suppose I had a biology teacher, so I, I always loved biology. And she probably inspired me just to take up studies in biology. But beyond that, I didn't really know what career I would have. It's not like I was looking at a female uh, leader in agriculture or something like that, that I got into it. I was just interested in the field and did it for my own purpose. And when I then started working in DBI um, here in agriculture, there were very few women that you could look up to. I was one of the only female tech technicians. I was working in a technical role first, and there were no female researchers when I started. So I really couldn't have a role model as such in my job because they just weren't there. And they're still not really. They're just starting to appear now like uh, DPI DAF now has a um, female DG and even the deputy DG is female so it, it is starting now but when I got into it there just weren't any women yeah that's what we see that now more women are taking on lead leadership roles and that's just great I think it's great to that this works it serves to inspire the younger generation as well yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm trying to do myself. So I do take on certain leadership roles just also to show younger women that, that there are women at the, that can make it to, to more senior roles in, in our organisations. I think that's really important to, to lead by example. Yeah. Which quality describes you best, Barbara? Well, I'm, I'm not afraid to have a go at things because um, I also am not that afraid of failing. I don't feel embarrassed if I if I fail at something. I just have a go, and I know it's a natural process that you 
learn by by mistakes. Yeah, I feel like I have a go at most things and and, and just try and, and then get better as I go. And I'm not embarrassed about that. I think that's natural. And I think that's that's a strength because that opens a lot of things for me. I, I don't have to feel I'm not talented enough or I'm not, you know, set up or I'm a girl so I can't do certain things. I just, if I want to do it, I, I, I will have a go. I agree completely about this, really. So do you have any struggles that you encountered during your career that you would like to share? Struggles during my career? Like also fail, like... Did you fail sometimes? Oh, yeah, certainly. <laughs> okay, so you're normal. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, for example, I, you know, early on, even during my undergrad, I had the first year, I had to repeat my exams. I failed certain subjects and, and I had to have another go. And then later on, for the jobs that I'm in now, I had to m apply multiple times, for, for example. So... So when I first started, I said I was in a casual role, but then a, a job in the in the laboratory came up in DPI and I applied for it, but I didn't get it first up. So a, a different person got it and then that person left and I had another go. And that's actually happened to me with a couple of roles that I've had that I just didn't get it in the first place, but I just had another go. And eventually I got it and, and, and did a good, you know, get myself into the role. And also, I guess, in my PhD, that was quite hard. I had failures there. So the lab um, experiments that didn't work or field experiments that didn't quite go the way you thought. So I think it's a normal part of our life in, in research that things go wrong and that you fail and you have to ex expect that and, and accept it and, and, and run with it, I think. You know, just, never, just don't give up and keep trying. It's what we are doing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great advice. <laughs> and I that's think great. like when something doesn't go as you like were expected, it's, I think it's because of the destiny or you, you weren't meant to do that. So yeah, think, yeah, you can see it that, yeah. You have to take it like badly or like you have, you, you failed, you are not good enough. I think it's just. Yeah, sometimes I applied for, for a job and then didn't get it and you, you, maybe you're disappointed, but a little while later you think, oh, what? Thankfully, I didn't get that. I probably didn't really. Yeah, me too. The same. When I was, yeah, when I was applying for PhDs, I, I've got like I applied for a few projects in important, I mean, institutes, and when I didn't get, it, I was so like a bit depressed. I mean, I wasn't feeling good. But actually, now when I'm thinking back, I'm like, oh, thanks God, I didn't get them because I'm very happy where I, where I am now. Actually, exactly. So. Yeah, and while you have a go, you you become better. You know, I've yes. applied for a fair few jobs um, and and positions during my my time, and um, you you become better at interviewing, and eventually the job that you really want, um, you, you're then a good interviewer, or you know, you know how to, the process works, and you'll get that job. Yeah, I think so, you you just keep learning from your fail, yep. the failure. I mean, Absolutely. just an experience. So yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So the next question: What inspired you to pursue a career in science? Like I said, it was more my interest was um, in natural things and biology. Um, that's what got me into this field. And I was already thinking about agriculture for my undergraduate, but I just wanted to keep it general. Sort of biology, I thought, was a really nice general degree. 
that you could go in any direction. And I think that has served me well too. And then when I moved here, like I said, I wasn't even expected to be working in science. So it was really lucky that I saw that DPI was doing research. And this, I guess, agriculture here in Australia is something very important. So there is funding for it. There are jobs in agriculture, especially in the rural area that we, we lived in. So it was just something that um, was needed and, and I could pl- apply my biology degree to that. So it made sense to get into this field, even so it might not have been what I chose in the first place. Like I said, I was more working in nature conservation, but agriculture is needed. And, and, and so it made sense to, to get into this field. And I really do enjoy it now as well. So, but when did you realize that you, you were meant for this? <laughs> The moment. Um, yes. <laughs> the moment. <laughs> I meant, I, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty hard to say because um, you sort of, like I said, you follow some interests you have. I also had an interest in languages, but I basically figured I could do languages on the sideline. I didn't have to go to uni and study languages to learn another language. Which one you were t- interested what kind of language? Oh, I, I speak a bit of Italian um, and we had to learn French because in Switzerland we have the four languages in, in Switzerland, official languages. So, so we can speak Italian and French, I speak both. So. Yes, I know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, not that I would want to switch to um, any of them at the moment. For the interview, That's I funny. think English is better. <laughs> I probably would struggle but I can still read and and, and talk to people and that sort of thing. But anyway, so I just felt um, that the most affinity to this field um, and I was thinking about becoming a vet as well, but I think being a vet is a really tough call, a really tough life. And yeah, yeah, so I just, I really think biology, it was my interest and it, it had a lot of opportunity to go in any direction I probably was always interested in animals and, and, and nature and that. So I can't call a, I recall a moment where it suddenly occurred to me that <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. It's just, that's who I am. Did yeah. you, Barbara, did you uh, have mentoring when you were younger in terms of like careers, options and that? No, not really. No, maybe people, maybe in terms of becoming a vet, people were making comments about, oh, this is, too hard for girls and I must say I did take that on board a little bit so in a way I've been dissuaded to follow that path but as far as someone encouraging me to go into this field or study biology no I never had that sort of mentoring I just followed my own interests that's awesome (laughs) so we have another question for you did you ever encounter difficulties in a male-dominated environment such as agriculture since you're working in this field since a long time like also have you seen any changes with the time like yeah how has it changed yes yeah absolutely like i said before when i first started with uh, the department of primary industry then i was one of the only what we you know only women there um and now if I go to a meeting, it's quite common to have a fair few, maybe not 50-50 yet, but a fair few women would be in the room and certainly at UQ as well. Academia is slightly different to industry. I certainly think the opportunities to become more senior have been made easier 
think that there's been things put in place to make it easier for women to take on leadership in these areas. And it has shown that that's paid out, that we have these women leaders now, especially in, in DAF, maybe more so than at UQ. I think Kwafi, for example, still has um, only very few senior le female leaders. And how do you feel like how do you feel about this like how did you feel to be like the only woman or to... i i felt it was i mean you feel maybe like you don't get heard as much when you're sort of a, a a new thing you know a woman on the on the block sort of thing you 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 have to really become assertive to be heard so i just definitely thought i was being talked over when you're younger and and you're the only woman in the in the room but I've never felt that I was in the wrong place. You know, I was never made to feel I shouldn't be there, for example, or not at all for women. You know, it was never overt that people people were against women in agriculture. I think if I've had biases against me, it was more they accumulate over time a little bit. You know, you may have missed out on this opportunity because you haven't had the, you know, you had to have a break for your children, that sort of thing, that that's, happens. But there's no overt feeling of you shouldn't be there, at least, in, in, like I said, in, in, in the Department of Agriculture. It's, it's quite a good culture and accepting of women. And so it's nice to see now, to see more women coming into it, because I, I really do think it's a field that women can contribute so much to. Um, we Agriculture... You know, it's important we take good care of um, the environment, but also make sure we're working towards the health of people with good nutritious food. And I think that's something that a lot of people, women are probably more interested or more careful with. Women have maybe a little bit more awareness of um, a healthy environment is good for, for all of us. So that's why I think it's really, really good that um, there's more of us coming into this field. What do you think that we should do to increase the number of female? Well, I think one of the biggest impediments is really that, um, especially in academia, especially at UQ, there is the expectation that people work a massive workload. So, you know, if you're asking people to do 60, 70 hours a week, that's just not healthy and that will preclude women from coming into it and, and be, you know, becoming leaders into that field if they are still expected to carry the domestic load as well. So I really do think we have to start with liberating the men to take over more um, roles in, in the home and, and with their family and bringing up their kids. So because once men take on those roles and they realise they can't put in a 60 to 70 hour week. They may have to work part time. They may have to finish at three o'clock to go and pick up their children. They may have to take time out to cook and all that sort of thing. We are going to create a more level playing field and, and they won't be able to, you know, produce two more papers than a, a woman would. And, they, and that's just going to increase the women's chances to, to succeed. And, but it also will give the men the opportunity to be good fathers and, and, and enjoy family life. I think they have as much to gain as we will. And it's important to sort of frame it that way too, to, to say, you know, we, we're not only missing the women in, in STEM, we're also missing the men in the family context. We can 
gain so much by them having more input. I think at academia at the moment, especially for young women like us, kind of seems that a bit restrictive in terms of like what is going to happen in a few years when a woman decides to have a family? Is it going to become more competitive? What is it going to happen? I found that a bit of a challenge for, for women in science. Absolutely. And if you've got short-term contracts, that's just so bad for everyone. Because, for example, in the public research in, in the Department of Agriculture, you know, when I got in, you were still lucky enough to get a permanent job. And then they were also quite willing to let you work part-time or take some time out. You didn't have to fear that you will lose your job and you can sort of be a bit of a go at a slower pace for a while, but then come back in. Like for example, myself, I've worked part-time to look after my children for a while, but then once they grew up and left home, I could go full steam again. So in the last few years I've been working full steam and put in, you know, more hours, but you can't do that continuously if you want to bring up a family or even just life in general, you know, throws up things at you that you have to step back and go a bit of a slower pace for a little while. And I think the job should allow that. The job should give you enough security that you can do that, sort of slow down and then speed up again at times. But at the moment, that's not the case in, in research and it's not good for anyone that that's not the case. So I really hope we can change policy, policies there and, and, and become, you know, people being more aware of how important it is to have research and have science and the public to support long-term roles, to make gains, bigger gains rather than short-term projects. You know, people have to do something for two years and then change again and do some, the next thing for two years. That's, that's not good for anyone. Okay, thanks, Barbara, for that. Our next question is, why is it important to highlight women in agricultural science? We know it's a bit of a male-dominated environment. But you were saying that women are more careful in nutrition, but what are like other things that it's important to highlight in, for women? Well, it's, for example, um, I, I read a statistics once that basically... 50% of the food we eat on our plate is actually produced by a female farmer, but we just don't know about it. You know, people, if you say farmer, they picture a man on a tractor with his dog behind him or something. And the big hat, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, when you Google farmer as well, you know, that what comes up, men with maybe a pitchfork or a, a tractor. But in fact, when you think, especially in the developing world, there's so many women who actually are in, in, in charge of producing the food for, for their families, but also to sell, sell some of it. So, you know, we need to have that reflected in our research as well and in the people who, who help those farmers to, to, you know, to produce more food. Uh, it only makes sense if so many of them are actually women that the researchers are also women. Um, and, and just in general, I think anything we we should have hopefully input from both genders, just because we are fifty fifty in the world. There's fifty percent women and fifty percent men in the world, so it makes sense to in in um, decision making roles to have that reflected, to make sure that people are also catered for, because otherwise, you know, it's maybe 
because apparently it's a really big difference often what men look for, for example, in, in, in a variety to what the women say in a developing country, uh, what the women actually want might not be the same as the, the men want in the field. So it's important to have both needs catered for. Thank you, Barbara. That was a very interesting point of view and I never thought about that. So the next question is, what advice do you have for young girls and women that are interested to join our community? Yeah, I think if it's really something that you're interested in, um, just follow your, follow your interest, but be adaptable. Don't think that you should lay out your career path now and, and, and then follow that exactly. Just be open-minded, have a general interest, have maybe the curiosity that is basically the basis of all science as your core thing that you, that you want to pursue. But, but apart from that, be open-minded if, if an opportunity comes along to take that path rather than you know, pursuing something in particular because that's very, very hard to pull off if you just st stick to one subject. But if you're open-minded and, and see the opportunities and go with what comes your way, then I, I think you can make a path in it. And it's very a nice area to be in because you're so f often so free to, you know, say what you're doing, that your days are never the same. It's quite um, diverse what, what, your, what your tasks are. It's not boring. It keeps you learning. So you have, you know, lifelong learning in, in, in this area. It keeps you connected with other people from all sorts of places in the world because it's such a universal need, food, food production and agriculture. It happens in every country and, and often the research community is very diverse, which is very nice to be involved with. And if the structures are there that you can stay, you know, flexible and work part-time, I think it would be even, even better for, for anyone to be in this field. If you're interested in this, certainly follow, follow your interest and, and come into it. That's and also be, be bold, get out yes. of the comfort zone. Because I think ah, we, yes. we three are examples yes. of, of women that move countries because yes. of science. So many. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And that takes a lot of courage. You have to That's... reinvent yourself. But you learn so much. I, I, I'm so glad now that I got out of Switzerland because... Um, my horizon is so much wider now. I've learned so much more about myself. I know I can in reinvent myself if I have to. And I, I, I learned that not everything has to be done in a certain way. There are, you know, many ways to, to do something. And, and everyone is different. Everyone. Yeah, like. yeah, absolutely. Did you find any differences from Europe to, like from Switzerland to, to Australia in, in terms of research, of life? Or... Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I really felt and that maybe I'm, I was just lucky the time I did come to Australia, but I feel that I've had so many opportunities to create my own life, which I don't think I would have had in Switzerland. Switzerland is more, a bit more regimented, you know, there's more rules where we live also here on the farm that we still have, my husband and I, you know, we recently built a, a, a chicken pen and we can just put it wherever we want we can build whatever <laughs> we want if <laughs> i often say if we want to dig a trench we can just put a trench anywhere we want we, it's sort of 
more freedom maybe that's just in the country rather than in a city of course but also like I said I could work part-time for a while I could do a PhD I I don't think I was disadvantaged being from a different background in fact I think Australian people are quite open to have people from different backgrounds in their workplace so that that helped me I think that's that's what makes yeah. science interesting as well you hear stories from people all over the world Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Just... And then also in terms of, um, for example, when I look back and look at the graduate people, the people who studied with me in the other graduate degree, I don't think too many of the women there have basically followed a real career in science. Some of them are librarians, some of them went into teaching, some of them, I don't know what, yeah, you know, work in a different field altogether. So And that's got to do often with that the structures in Switzerland are still a little bit more traditional. So the school system doesn't allow women to work as easily. So I also think it was better for me here in, with that, in that regard. Because, for example, the school times over there can be anything from, you know, one of the children goes to school from eight till 10 and then they come home and then they go again at one o'clock and the other one might go... It's sort of not from nine to three. It's more flexible, which makes it easier for the teachers, but not at all for the mothers or fathers who look after the children because they usually come home at lunchtime. So it's very, very hard to hold a job down. Yeah, um, different, different, because you will have to reschedule. Yes, uh, you have to activities. be home to. Yeah. Wow. So I, I do think I've had more opportunities here than I would have had back in Europe. Yeah, I'm really grateful to Australia for that. And how is the rural life? You mean in comparison or in just in general? Yeah, in general. In general. I, I love it. I mean, that's what I basically always wanted to do, produce my own food, be quite self-sufficient. But um, what, what are you producing? Well, we're producing just about everything soon. At the moment, we're producing our own milk. So we have two, two Swiss brown dairy cows. <laughs> that we just <laughs> yeah, that was actually a, a new addition that was um during the corona lockdown that we were able to be home and, and, and do the milking in the morning. Oh nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> Back to the origin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In Swiss cows, I feel really connected to them. <laughs> they come, <laughs> they How come do you from, call them? They have names? Uh, Lint and Sprungli. <laughs> Lint, this is amazing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like they come from the same origins from the mountain valleys in Switzerland. Um, so we produce our own milk, um, soon the eggs. We've been getting the eggs from Pete's um, parents. They, they live close by. But now we will get our own chickens again. We used to have them, but didn't have them for a while. Uh, we produce our own meat. So we've been you know, rearing some calves and, and then getting a butcher here to kill them on our place. Uh, so we'll be doing that with the dairy calves. But the drought actually in this last drought that we've had, it was so massive that we had to, the first time in 20 years, we had to sell all our beef cows just to, we, we didn't have enough feed for them and it just wasn't economical to keep feeding them. So just before Christmas last year, we sold all those. Um, and the, the seasons are still a little bit unsure now. So So we thought we... The dairy cows are a bit easier because it's just, yeah, two cows at the moment and we that way we also get our own milk from it. So are you making cheese? 
Uh, not us, but <laughs> yeah, I just haven't got enough time. But we've got friends that we're sharing the milk with, uh, and they've been making cheese and been giving us cheese in return. So that's yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so, we have a l large vegetable garden and lots of fruit trees. So when we first um, established our garden, my husband loves roses and things like that. But the first drought we had, I sort of said to him, it doesn't make sense to keep watering something. I mean, we do still have a few roses to look at, but I wanted the majority of the trees in the garden to be something that you can actually eat. So we have lots of um, citrus trees, um, oranges, lemons, limes, mandarins, and then a large avocado tree, which is really um, it's fruiting very well. So we've had like up to 300 avocados a season from the one tree. Wow. And be beautiful <laughs> avocados. Um, and then we have plums, apricots, apples. Yeah, all sorts of different trees that we... So we've Sounds, been, sounds great. So yeah, pretty maybe much. Maybe like think about moving <laughs> yeah. to the rural <laughs> area <laughs> after PhD. It's definitely <laughs> a really, really nice um, lifestyle. So how and do you also, balance that with the academic career? Yeah, how do you do yeah. everything? You want the woman, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I think maybe one thing helps. You, you, you try to do, to do it well, but not to perfection. Nothing to total perfection, I feel. Like balancing the different yeah, balls. Yeah, don't, don't, don't expect that you're going to be super, super at each field, just sort of achieve what you need to achieve then you have to enjoy it I guess otherwise it becomes a chore so if you enjoy it getting up early to do the milking it's it's not too bad we don't at the moment we don't have to, any children at home so that's that's a lot easier we, yeah. we didn't, certainly didn't do the milking when we had school kids and the beef cattle they don't really they they're pretty easy it's not that much work it's just every few weekends you may have to you know do something with them but usually they look after themselves and then the the garden my husband is a really keen gardener so he does a lot in that yeah but it's basically just what we enjoy and, and now we're he's actually going to go part-time so and that's like I said I also did part-time when the kids were younger so I think that's also when you can afford to do that it's a nice thing to do just you know don't work 100% but and have a life be, be, be beside your job how many kids really you have Two. Wow. Two boys, yeah. <laughs> Two boys, so you're the only woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, you do feel that sometimes, I think. <laughs> but yeah. how, how did you meet your husband? He was is working also in biology yeah. or science? No, no, actually oh, okay. he 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 was on a farm exchange. So he he grew up on a farm and then traveled in, in, in Europe and Switzerland and ended up working on a farm. Mm -hmm. And I was living also on a farm because, like I said, I always liked that sort of lifestyle. I, I was, um, yeah, living on a farm in, in Switzerland and met him that way. And it's actually interesting because in Switzerland we have this saying when you, because in Switzerland the cattle are kept inside the houses. So that means the farmers have to put the, the manure of the cat, they have to clean out the stables every day and they put the manure on a pile in front of the basically house because the stables are often connected to the house where people live. Mm -hmm. um, so each house has this pile of manure in front of it. And there is a saying that if you get married across your pile of manure, 
means you're marrying your neighbor's daughter. And so, <laughs> so basically that's, that's what my husband and I did, but he is from Australia and I'm from Switzerland. So it's, it's, it's the other, other side of the world, but still I basically wow. married the neighbor's son because he was working on this farm and I was living on, on the next door farm when we met. How old, <laughs> nice how old are you? Like when you, you met him? Uh, I was about 26 when we met. So, and after you moved to Australia to do your PhD? Yes, so then, uh, like I said, we, um, we actually had the children in Switzerland and my, my husband was working in, in Switzerland. We were both working in Switzerland uh -huh. and he was quite happy, but I was keen to experience the Australian lifestyle because, like I said, I was always interested in living on the land and, and liked open spaces. So I said to him, I'd like to experience his home country. And so we came out before the children went to school. So in case we didn't like it, we could have gone back and they could have gone to school in Switzerland, but we are sti still here now. So we made our life here. And <laughs> so how, did you, how did you manage the PhD and the kid? Well, I must say, I must say, and that's probably another advice I would have to a young person coming into STEM. Get yourself a partner who's very supportive and is not afraid to do the family chores, like I said before. I really think I admire my husband for that because he he grew up in this small town that we live here, live in here, and you don't see too many fathers taking their kids to preschool. <laughs> But he was he was not afraid to be the first, basically one of the first fathers in in our small town to take the kids to preschool while I was working. So for a while I was the main breadwinner, and he took the he looked after the kids and the farm. And then um, when they went to school, I actually started my PhD then when the kids went back to school and my husband started working part-time uh, also in agriculture, but he's not a scientist. He is a technician now. So I think it helped me that he wasn't in academia because he was happy to not work for a while and happy to work part-time and didn't have a massive career. He just had more normal, flexibility. Yeah, right. more flexibility. And I had flexibility when I did my PhD. I mean, it's your own hours that you work. So I could pick up the kids and then just, you know, continue at nighttime. So he used to say, look, I'll do the washing up. You go and study. Or even on the weekend, he'd say, you go study and I do this. So he was very, very supportive. And, and that's how it really worked. And in a way, it really allowed us to share our role of parenting and, and working. Oh, I'm yeah. just amazed. I don't know how did you, how did you do that? Like... <laughs> I'm, I'm by myself and really it's I'm struggling I must also. admit it, it took me a little while too because I I did the three years full-time um, field work and all that but then after I finished that I took on a part-time job uh, in research and so I was meant to write up beside my part-time work that was probably the biggest um That, that was the hardest time that I had to but, try to write my thesis while going to work and have the kids. But, but again, my partner helped so much in, in that he just cooked most of the time and picked up kids or, you know, did anything. So yeah. I think we're, we're a pretty good team. I think that really helped us that we both do, we sh don't shy back from doing anything. We both share all the roles. You know, I help on the farm. I help mowing the lawn. We don't have traditional roles one does this one does the other we, we we both 
do That's everything. Awesome. Yeah. But I, I've met a lot of like PhD students that has kid or really yeah. I'm just impressed about they're awesome. I, yeah, I, I think it helped that they were already at school. I, I don't think I would have wanted to do it when they were, you know, before school, when they were really little. But I found that in the school hours I could do my field work. I must say also my parents used to come out to, to visit us during the summertime here. So that was my, my hardest field season. And they used to come on holiday here and then they would take our two boys away on holidays or stay on our farm and look after them. So that helped me as well. For, for them, it was a holiday, but for me, it was someone who looked after the children during the six week school holidays and my, my um, toughest field season. So yeah, I must say that too. Uh, I had a lot of help that way. But like, how did you decide to undertake a PhD? Wait, like, um, what, what did you make this, like, why did you do one yeah, bold, do bold move? <laughs> <laughs> Already, it like, is PhD is challenging. It's, yes, it's, yeah, yeah. you decided to do a PhD because you want it, and, like, I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, it was just about uh, being able to concentrate on one topic for a while without having to do, you know, project, project leadership or any of that sort of thing. You just concentrate on that research for three years. I think that's quite a, a luxury to be able to, to do that. So it was basically just a curiosity that I wanted to do. I was, it wasn't about advancing my career prospects, although in hindsight it has certainly helped me with that. I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't be in the job I am now if I didn't have the PhD you know, I could have kept working in a technical role and it would have been fulfilling as well. But I'm not sure, yeah, whether the technical role would still be there, for example, at the moment. Because, yeah, DAF was sort of downsizing a bit and because I had a PhD, I was able to join um, UQ and Coffee. But, but, but the main reason was really the curiosity, just concentrate on a topic for an extended period of time and really get into detail with it. I think if you're not keen on that, it's not a good idea to, to do a PhD. Just for your salary or career you know, advances, I'm not sure I would do it. It's just too hard. It is. That's good advice. So is. Barbara, what are your current projects and what, are, what is something that you're looking forward to? Okay. Um, so at the moment, I, I was working on a project that actually was a bit longer term than often a lot of the projects we have been involved in recently. So that this project went for five years and we were trying to look at um, screening large numbers of lines for photosynthetic um, efficiency. So basically which lines have better light use and then give you better growth. And as you can imagine, that is not easy to measure. So we had to develop tools that we could measure something like that across a thousand different field plots. So we were um, using remote sensing and um, a, tr a tractor with sensors on, but also UAVs with sensors on. So it was a, a really multidisciplinary project with engineers, um, remote sensing experts, um, crop physiologists, molecular biologists, genom genomics people. 
and I really, really enjoyed that, being involved in a project that had quite a challenging task to develop these new tool, tools, but also had many different experts from different fields. I, I really, really enjoyed that. And so I'm hoping we can now use these tools for the next projects that we can continue using them now that we've developed them. But that was scientifically interesting because I learned a lot about photosynthesis, but particularly C4 photosynthesis, which is quite a fascinating field. Why you're so interested about photosynthesis? Fun fact. Well, the most amazing thing, I think, because if you know a little bit about C3 and C4 photosynthesis, so in a nutshell, the C4 plants, they can take... No, maybe, normally, maybe, maybe we should, we need a, a bit of background for people. That yes, know what that's what I'm just trying to do. <laughs> just trying to do. So, so basically, plants um, take it. They need carbon dioxide and water to grow. But the unfortunate thing is that they take in the carbon dioxide through pores, but they also lose water. They transpire through the, through, through the same pore. So that means when the plants have their pores open they also are at risk of losing water at the same time. So they always have to balance, will I keep the pores open to photosynthesize or will I close them to save some water? But the C4 plants, and that actually has spontaneously evolved several times in the plant world. So it's not just something that's popped up and then it continued in a certain lineage of plants. It actually popped up in, in different plant families and the same mechanism popped up several times. Basically, that this, the carbon dioxide is taken away from that initial airspace into specific cells around the bundle sheath. So that means once the CO2 is away, then the, the pores can stay open or can close without the risk of not being able to take in more carbon dioxide. So that's the fascinating thing about C4. And you can, so basically, in a normal plant, in a C3 plant, you have the carbon dioxide being made into sugars in a mesophyll cell. But in the C4 plant, it happens in this bundle sheath cell, which is a specific cell. So the interesting, you, you would think that there is a lot of changes that would have to happen for a plant to do that. But in fact, they use the same genes. It's just when they turn them on or off is what makes the difference. To, to, for, to go from a C3 plant to a C4 is basically done by the difference in expression of certain genes rather than new genes. And that's probably why it evolved several times. So as soon as the environment is as such that it basically favours this sort of thing in a, in a dry or hot environment, or also where you have low C carbon dioxide levels, it can force the plants to go this way, but it can be achieved by just turning on these extra genes rather than inventing new ones. And I thought that was really fascinating because yes. there is a project at the moment where they're trying to, Bill Gates is investing quite a bit of money in that as well, for example, where they're trying to make rice, which is a C3 plant into C4 plant, which then would make you, give you better drought tolerant rice and more um, yielding rice. Uh, and you would think that's very, very, you know, ambitious to do. But when you know that it's just about expressing certain genes more, then you realise that it can be achieved, that it should be, we should be able to achieve that 
you make make for ICC four plant. Wow, this is so mind blow, really. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question. Um, So, did you have any dreams when you were like young, like mean a kid or younger, or at high school, or when you were doing your university? And do you have dreams? Like, what are your dreams now? So basically, I always dreamt about living on a farm and living a fairly simple life, produce my own food. So that is something that I've always dreamt of. And I I, I do think I have achieved that and I've achieved even more because I've been able to do that plus work in science. So I see that as as a real bonus. But I also dreamt of really helping the world, like, um, you know, doing some some good for, for people and Agriculture is a way of doing that, but I, I sometimes wish I could do that a bit more directly. I feel a little bit removed from really helping people. I mean, hopefully one of these inventions that we have now will put some more food on someone's plate, but I just feel a little bit removed from directly feeling like I'm contributing. So that is something that I, or even with, um, you know, making the world a better place in terms of climate change, I, I would still like to achieve more there, sort of on the basically driving more change that we can sure we don't get more warming that we're already committed to. That is something that I still would like to achieve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think me, me too. Like, I would like to do something to yeah. help, to increase, to feed more people. Yeah. We need the challenge it. is that to feed a lot of people, yeah. and to also control climate change which is and, uh, yes, yes. And, and i think that there is not just one solution i mean it's a, like no. a lot of tools t- together so yeah absolutely yeah and we need more money in agriculture because food is the main thing yeah and, and people to come up with these uh, new ideas as well to solve yeah, the yeah. problems but yeah that's why i'm hoping that the the people will have more insight that we do need research and that there's more funding coming into research that they secure career paths for people for women and men to go into and make a life of it and then discover something because i think it takes a long time to discover something you can't just in two years in a two-year yeah, also, project also it takes funding because if you have new yeah. ideas and you want to apply your ideas you need funding and and we don't Absolutely. have funding exactly really- so I really hope, and maybe this current um, corona crisis has, you know, showed people that a lot of people are suddenly realizing where does actually our food come from and what happens if I can't, if the trucks can't go anymore, if the planes can't go anymore, where does my food come from? Exactly. Um, so hopefully that has put it in the forefront of people's minds that we do need to continue researching this area to be able to produce uh, enough food. And the pandemic also highlighted that um, people are willing to listen to the scientists who know the stuff. Exactly. And, and going directly to them, even if it's just through social media. Absolutely. Yeah, very right. So I hope that they apply that to climate change, that they just and, yes. say, well, Maybe those people actually know that that's what's going to happen if we don't do nothing. We're we're going to be in trouble, in you know, very soon, or we are already are. Yes, um, and you can say that science is the future. Science is the solution for everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas only maybe six months ago, a year ago, no one really listened to scientists. They just didn't think they, you know, had anything to contribute. That's why we need more young women in science too. 
Yes. Brilliant, brilliant women there. Join, come join. <laughs> join, so join like, us. Yeah, basically, what we can't afford is 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 to disregard fifty percent of our bright minds. We can't just say, you know, exclude women. We're we're losing so much potential. That's that's why we need. And one great things of like of a women, it's like we are multitasking. We can do more things at the same time. <laughs> Abilities. This is a, a, like a fantastic quality, actually. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, again, I mean, w women are naturally the ones um, who, you know, have children and, and, and bring up children so that we also know how important food is, yes. um, you know, that we can't survive without having food on, on the table. And usually that's why probably so many women in the world are farmers, because in the first place, they want to feed their own kids. And, of course. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, learning in high school how agriculture... <laughs> like just probably growing a plant was discovered by women because they were the ones that were probably planting the seeds and discovered the, cycle, the life cycle of the plant, right. whereas the men were more of a hunting. That was, that was like, wow, interesting. That's very possible. Let's see, that's another deception, like that the farmer is male. <laughs> we just been deceived. We just haven't been told the full truth. Uh, we, we expect and, and even to this point I remember also uh, reading that when when people ask kids to draw a scientist it yes. does not tend to be a woman yes. just a man with a lab coat and with a lab coat yes exactly we definitely want to yeah change that mentality and highlight that yeah. there that well yeah i guess it's because for kids is they will follow what they see you they see more women being represented in science absolutely and i mean sometimes i even discover myself we, we we all have our own biases because we have grown up in this same culture of only men are in science when you hear someone on the radio announcing someone often you know, so professor such and such you think you immediately get the picture of a man And then you're surprised when it's a woman. So it just shows that we're all so biased. Society. We're used to up. this and we are growing up with this kind of society. We need to change. We need to change everything. Exactly. But I think that is happening. That is really happening. Yes. I mean, for example, now at Coffee, we make sure that in our publications, um, the, the diversity we have is represented. So, you know, people actually look at a program or a advertising catalog and, and, and make sure that the images actually show the diversity and not just a man in a lab coat is pictured but really a diverse range of people and i think that's that's really good and, and that that will lead to change yeah and also like i don't like when they say women in science we are scientists i mean there is no women men in science we are not saying men in science so i yeah. don't like this <laughs> yeah we don't say men in science yeah. right yeah so like <laughs> We are just scientists. We are not women inside. We are scientists. So yes. I mean, like people, when they talk about scientists, they, they think about a man. And this yeah. is, we need to break this thing. Like, yeah. This yeah. And we are, finally, we are coming there. So like, finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that will change now. I'm, I'm very positive because when I first, um, there's some things that might take a bit longer, but this will change rapidly in the next few years, I feel. So we, we had a lot of good advice to share about how to motivate younger girls and more women going to the STEM community. So our last question is, what advice will you give to your younger self? 
Uh, well, I'm pretty happy with the way my <laughs> life worked out. <laughs> That's good. That's actually valid. <laughs> um, so every day you have the opportunity to make sure you're happy with your life, basically. You know, don't, don't put anything off, I think. It's, 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 it's important to, to live every, every day the way you're comfortable. Don't think, oh, I need to, um, you know, do this for 10 years and then after that then I can live the life I want to. I, I think it's important to have your life beside your career because ultimately it's about your life, not about your career. The career should fit your, your life and not the other way around. And I think I've managed, um, I've managed to do that. So I think the advice um, to my younger self would be, yeah, follow your instincts, that your interests and what you want out of life is just as important as, as um, following a career path and then things will fall in place if, if you do that. Um, and don't take yourself too seriously either, you know. Don't, don't, don't take everything seriously. Like I said, if you fail, you just get back up and have another go and... I think that has served me really well. And I would encourage my younger self to keep doing that. <laughs> Excellent. You did very good. I mean, like, <laughs> I admire you so much. You have an inspiration. So. <laughs> Thank you so much, Barbara. That was really great. We Thank just you. had our first episode. So really <laughs> cool. good advice that we had. Yeah. Good and uh, share. I, I would also give you the advice, keep going the way you are, because you're very curious um, people. Uh, and um, <laughs> keep that up, and that's that's we need people like you to to carry on with our good work. Thank you, thank you very much. No problems. All right. <laughs> so All the best. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Illuminata podcast, where we highlight the story of stone women in agriculture. Stay, Stay tuned for the next episode. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.